Hello and welcome to episode 231 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the front man from the amazing band Rise Against. I'm joined by Tim McElrath. We get to talk a lot about the band's career. We talk all about their festival appearances and the amazing future this band have got ahead of them. For me, personally, as I sat there editing this interview earlier today, I truly believe it's my favourite interview that I've done this year. I don't know what it is about it that just makes it so perfect for me, but the chemistry is there right from the moment we start talking. There's something about it, the sound quality, the conversation, the length of the interview, but for me, it's my proudest interview this year. I just absolutely adore it, and usually I hate the sound of my own voice. I don't like the interviews I do, and I am my own worst critic. But this interview I'm so proud of, and that will be coming up in just a couple of moments' time. But before we get there, let's use the intro like I do on every episode of Mark and Me to touch base and talk about my last episode. On episode 230, I was joined by the anti-flag frontman, Justin Sane. This was his second appearance on Mark and Me, not so long after 2000 Trees Festival in the UK, but this time it was just Justin. And you know what? This interview blew up. So a massive thanks to everyone that listened, shared it on maybe Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and just took the time to listen. I'm so grateful and really, really proud of that one too. But today it is all about Rise Against and I can't wait to get to this interview. So here's me and Tim talking all things Rise Against. So Tim, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Tim, what I like to do for the listeners out there, maybe that are discovering your band for the first time through this podcast, is give them an idea about the early days. So talk to me about when you were a kid. What were those first albums that you remember buying? Maybe of your pocket money or, you know, when you're doing a, a job as a kid that you absolutely adored, where you'd listen to every track, you'd smell the inlay, you'd read the lyrics, you'd absolutely be sotted with an album. Oh, man. Um... Yeah, I remember those days. Um, so I got into music probably like right in the late 80s, early 90s. So at the same time, punk rock and hardcore is hitting me at the same time. Like um, we were like alternative music was just starting to change music, you know? Yeah. Um, let's see. The first album I remember like really like really my own was probably more like metal stuff like Metallica. I would say nice. like like before I got into punk and hardcore Metallica was kind of like the gateway into just heavier music that like wasn't on the radio. And I remember getting Ride the Lightning, um, the, their album from 1983. And I remember I had two friends and we didn't have enough money to just go out and buy the entire Metallica catalog. You know, <laughs> it wasn't you could just records were even back then were expensive. Yeah, definitely. So I remember one of my friends got and Justice for All, one of them bought Master of Puppets, and then I bought Ride the Lightning, and we would swap them all the time, you know, but we, those were the ones that we owned, you know, and it was because we, and we, and we spent every day together anyway, so it wasn't like we were ever away from those albums, um, and that was our way of kind of, I guess, I guess that was early file sharing. <laughs> so it's like you lend me the black album, and I'll lend you Ride the, Light, Ride the Lightning, and you know. Exactly, yeah, because we were it. kind of inseparable anyway so it was like we were just kind of saving money and that way we got to listen to everything but ride the lightning was like my appointed um part of the collection 
You you were the start of the early Napster. You were, you were the, <laughs> right? you were the kids before <laughs> Napster was cool. That's what I was just thinking. It was kind of like yeah, I love it. File file sharing. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> DIY. And uh, music for me all changed when I went to my first gig. Um, seeing Green Day on their Dookie tour um, must have been like nineties. It blew me away because I then got to hear how much of an impact music can have on stage and in presence. You know, it's not just a really produced album. You can hear Billy Joe singing and Trey's drums and everything. And it really mm-hmm. hit me hard where I then was like, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. But what was those first shows you remember? Maybe you're a kid or a teenager that you went to that your ribs kind of shook, your hairs on your neck stick up, and you were like, that's what I want to do. Mm. Uh so the first show that I went to that did that to me was um, seeing Nirvana play at the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago on the In Utero tour. Wow. Yeah. And then, uh, and Jawbreaker was the opener. Fucking hell. So, yeah. They weren't supposed to be. There was, it was like, it was Nirvana, Mud Honey, and the Wipers, but something happened to the Wipers and they had to bail on the tour for like a week and i think because jawbreaker was a new sign to geffen dgc which was like what nirvana was on at the time they managed to get out of the tour and so i got really lucky and saw that show and yeah like that was one of the i was i was i was well into jawbreaker and i was well into nirvana and like those were two different types of music kind of coming together for me you know and i remember thinking like this is amazing. This is all I want to do. If not be on that stage, all I want to do is be in this crowd. Like I want to be at these shows all the time. I wanted to do this. I want to see live music, hear live music. I kind of wasn't, I didn't have the delusions of grandeur that I thought maybe I would be on that stage yet, you know? Um, but I knew it's all I thought about from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed. It's all I thought about was, was playing guitar, listening to music, finding out, more about my favorite bands reading the lyrics pouring over the lyrics um and just becoming obsessed and i didn't think it was something uh weird i thought all i thought we were all becoming obsessed the same i thought we were all going through the same motions i didn't realize that the kid in class next to me didn't share the same absurd passion that i shared you know i thought we were all going it was only later in life i realized oh like you were obsessed dude like you were this is all you thought about and this is what you wanted to do and so it kind of, it, it should have been more clear to me then how passionate I was, but I didn't think of it as something that was any different than anybody else. Did you obviously get to see Kurt Cobain live? I was just short of it. I had tickets to the tour after he died. Um, it was supposed to come to Europe, I think, later that year. And I had a ticket. Um, I was only really young. I was like uh, just secondary school but i never got to go because obviously he committed suicide but Mm. to see him on stage it must have been unbelievable because being a front man yourself you then get that i know you're not thinking it back then but Mm. you must have just been in awe thinking wow this guy's got something special yeah it was larger than life and nirvana was larger than life at that point too like never mind it already come out they'd already been changing music um kurt cobain was kind of like he became like an ambassador of punk rock and underground music too. You know, as we all know now, he was so good at advocating for the scene that he came from, you know, 
and like trying to tell people, listen, I know you like my song on the radio, but you got to hear these other bands. You know, you got to hear the bands that we used to open up for. You got to hear our label mates. And he was always so good at pushing all of that. And it, it really, it worked, you know, it turned, it, it gave a lot of bands like a higher profile, whether it was the bands that he covered during the, um, MTV Unplugged, like Meat Puppets. Well, that's know, what I was thinking or... when you were talking. Then I was thinking, even when they had their big moment in New York, he's still out talking about the Vaselines. He's playing David yeah. Bowie songs. He's got the right. Meat Puppets coming up on stage. I think there's three or four covers during that set. And it's like, what other band would go out there right now and do an MTV Unplugged set and dedicate a third of their show to other bands, you know? Right. Yeah. And even invite those bands on there. Like, the I know, it's insane. It really was like, cause you know, we do stuff like that. And I don't even think about like, we, we do some covers, but, but you're right. Like a third of the set, you know, like yeah. that many songs, you know, and um, you know, there were covers strewn through their albums, you know, bleach has covers, obviously incesticide has covers, you know, he'd be wearing a, a Daniel Johnston t-shirt, you know, or like there's even pictures of him wearing a jawbreaker t-shirt, you know, after those shows they did. Um, and those are just things that, you know, he's always he was always pushing the melvins um it was I, I, it was he became like an ambassador like this sort of like anti-hero of punk and hardcore and underground music in general and then to see him larger than life at the aragon ballroom in chicago was incredible i obviously didn't know what was coming i thought i would see kirk cobain many times throughout my life you know and there'd be many more nirvana albums i think what was really crazy too is we've played a lot of shows and we've played bigger shows than the Aragon Ballroom, but I love playing the Aragon Ballroom when we go there, when we when I get on that stage. Like there's pure, not pure nostalgia. Oh my gosh. I mean the first of all the venue hasn't changed at all. You know what I mean? It's like it's just been in mothballs the whole time. Um and I think about I was on that floor, you know, for that's awesome. For Nirvana, but I also saw Rage Against the Machine there. I saw like when Rollins band or Helmet and all those bands in the 90s were playing there. I was right there in the front row. And so to be on the stage or to like be in the same dressing room that those guys and girls were all in, you know, that's something that's a it's a big reference point for me. That's for sure. You can still be a fanboy at heart and be like, oh, my God, like Kurt <laughs> sat here. I'm in the same chair that he sat. Yeah. In. Oh, absolutely. I'm definitely a fanboy at heart. That's amazing. And did you at that point know that that's what you wanted to do? Were you playing an instrument yourself at that point or singing? Or was it a bit later on during college that you started playing with other musicians? I was playing from freshman year high school. This one, like I picked up a guitar. Or maybe I picked it up in like eighth grade. And I was playing with people for fun from the time I was like 15, 14 or 15 on. Um, and it was just, it was it was for fun. It was, or what I thought was just for fun, you know, like it was not very ambitious or careerist, you know, I just loved playing guitar and I loved getting into a room with like friends and just sort of like playing the same note at the same time. That was amazing. When the first time you did that and then you switch to the next note at the same time. And then like, now you have three chords and it's like, wait, we just did that, you know? And then you realize that what you're doing isn't that much different than all of your favorite bands, you know? And and then you start realizing like, oh, like there, nobody like has an advantage over you. Everyone's just playing these instruments. Like we could create a song as powerful as a Nirvana song right here, right now, you know? And using some ways, four chords. <laughs> right, yeah. using four chords. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you don't need better equipment. Nope. You, know what I mean? you, don't, you don't need a professional 
producer or studio or management or a booking agent or any of those things like you are it's a level playing field and it still is to this day like a 15 year old kid with a guitar um you know can sit down and create a song better than the greatest songwriters on the planet today this afternoon it could happen you know um and that's something that was like kind of empowering you know and you realize like wow and it's something i realized only later too and in some ways your youth is sort of on your side you know like to be that young is to have an advantage over people who probably are they may they may be better at their craft but like they don't have that same like enthusiasm and discovery of youth that we all had you know when we first picked up that first passion it's the drive and energy as well like i just turned 40 and to go to a gig now it's like well what's on the next day and uh i can't really yeah. drink too much that night because it's gonna be a late one i couldn't do it twice in a week because my back and it's ridiculous right. like, i went i went to incubus last week and i was thinking to myself the whole time like i hope it doesn't go on too much longer because i've got it the next day and it's so pathetic really but when you're that age and you're picking up a guitar at college or uni days you don't care because you've got that passion you've got the energy you've got the drive every night could go on all the night all through the night if you wanted because it didn't matter absolutely it's far more innocent and it's the kind of innocence it's the kind of innocence that you will spend your whole life trying to recreate i was going to say and you don't (laughs) realize you kind of take it for granted now looking Mm -hmm. back in hindsight i'm like fuck all those gigs i went to and seven nights a week going to see some of the best bands out there thrice and stuff in these small venues and radiohead when they were starting out like I was just going to gigs and just enjoying it. But now I'm like, Jesus, did you realize what you were doing? Do you realize that opportunity you had? Yeah, no, we don't. Right. They say, uh, what is the expression? Youth is wasted on the young. (laughs) (laughs) So true. So true. Yeah. Yeah. It's only later in life. Do you realize how important, um, that stuff is. And you know, it's what, what I, what I tell young people, it's like, do it, do it now, you know, cause you, you got to, you got to. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote, you know, most of the Rise Against songs, like after my family went to bed, like up in an attic, you know, just like that's when I had energy and like did it. And now the thought of that, the thought of starting starting to work at like 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. at night and going to 4 a.m. Like, I'm not doing that. No, you got your hot chocolate in bed. <laughs> I know. Yeah, All right. Yeah, exactly. One yes, more episode yeah. on Netflix and then, and then straight to bed. But um. Were you that focused at that point where you were like, this is all I want to do? Because I hear a lot of people and meet a lot of people that want to be in a band and they're mm-hmm. in a band, but to actually make it, it's such a big world to be in. The music industry is a tough one to break through, but were you that kind of focus that that's all you were ever going to do? Mm, I would, I, you know, I have to say no, because I never thought, I just never thought this would work out. <laughs> I never... I think I was a bit of a realist, you know, I yeah. came from sort of like a, a working class family, like the idea of doing music, like how absurd and bizarre, you know? And I think, especially as I grew up in sort of like a, I grew up outside of Chicago and away from anybody who was, I had no model for people who were doing creative endeavors as a living, you know? So I didn't, I had nobody to look at as a reference point and say, Oh, that person can do it. You know? The only people I had were people in magazines and on TV, and that just seemed way larger than life. That's like, you might as well, you know, um, strive to win the lottery, you know? Yeah. And so, but that said, like, 
even thinking that it wasn't going to be a reality, it never stopped me or slowed me down. You know what I mean? Like I just, I did it out of sheer like instinct and it's just simply what I cared about, you know, like it's what it was, what, what I really woke up thinking about and fell asleep thinking about. And all I wanted to do was put songs together and play music with my friends and try to get a show. And, you know, that's, that was, I was obsessed, you know? And so the idea like reaching for that brass ring wasn't part of it. It was really just about like the song and the community of it. And I was way into the punk and hardcore scene, which became like a family um, to me as well. And so when the success found us, it was a bit of a shocker, you know? Yeah. You weren't prepared. Yeah. We weren't prepared. And you just kept thinking it was going to end every day. You're like, like, this is a fluke. This album's a fluke. This Someone's going to rupture us and say, hang on a minute. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck <laughs> are you guys doing on this stage? <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what it felt like. It felt like it felt like maybe like you you won a contest and like, yeah. you're going to you're going to be up on the stage for a minute or you're going to get to go on this one world tour. And then, <laughs> but then you're going to go back to your life. You yeah, know what I mean? the bubble's going to burst and you're going to drop down to reality. Yeah, yeah. Never felt very worthy of it. And I think especially as coming from such an underground community, like my band was getting bigger than most of the bands that I had listened to, you know? And so I was like, this is, this wasn't supposed to happen. You know, like what's going on here? Um, in retrospect, you know, like now 20 years later, I think it was like a good, like it was an accidentally good perspective to go through all those years was thinking that they were going to end any day. You really appreciate them. You really appreciate all the shows, all the tours, um, because you just didn't, have any clue if it, whether it was going to last or not you know i think i think to not take it for granted um and be humble about it is the best way to be because not all bands realize that they're very transparent and uh if you go on stage and you kind of do a half-hearted show and you're like let's just get through it tonight lads mm-hmm. crowd can see that um yeah. I've been to many gigs and seen when it's like a cash grab tour and it's not genuine. And it's like this Mm. band don't really want to be doing this. It's probably some bill they've got to pay or they're just doing it for a job. But when you see that drive and passion and want for it, and like you were saying, you could think at any time this is going to be taken from you. You probably went on stage every night thinking, let's do the best show we can. Yeah, absolutely. You hit every city, not sure if you were going to be back there, you know, at least for those first like, you know, five or six years. And so, yeah, I mean, I could, that's something I can, I, I will say about our band. We've never hit the stage um, out of obligation for a cash grab. We've never played a show just for money, you know, no. we, play, we always played a show for our fans and to, to try to get to your city or a city near you every couple of years. And then realize that like, this might be show number five this week. But this is the first time we've played, you know, in Manchester in yeah. three or four years or whatever, you know, and this is the time that people are going to get to see you. And um, that's something that I've really appreciated about all four of us, really, because everyone, no matter what's going on in your life, when we step on that stage, like it, we take it seriously, you know, and that it's been it's been lovely to be a part of. Some of the bands I've had on the podcast recently, Everclear, Incubus, Feeder, these bands that have all been going over 20 years. And because you're one of those bands, what is it that you think is still making you want to do it every day? And, you know, like you said, you get back to go on tour again. 
the nights get harder. The energy levels aren't as strong as they used to be. You've got mm. families and kids and wives and all the other stuff. Mm. What is it that still makes you have that drive to get up and still want to do it when some bands just go, fuck it, we've done three or four albums, we'll just live off the money and take a whole holiday now and retire? Right. Um, I mean, retired holidays are overrated, I think. <laughs> we all know <laughs> that I mean? from lockdown. Everyone had two years <laughs> off and everyone's like, I'm bored. Yeah, right. I feel like, you know, like if you go try doing absolutely nothing like you're gonna get real bored real fast you know i think in the end you're just gonna crave doing this and even the bands that go away you can tell like they crave the stage you know i mean they crave being back up there because whether you're doing it because you need to pay the bills or you don't need to pay the bills it's still a part of who you are you know and like the further you get away from that stage like the more you will crave going back to it and so yeah like i have a I would definitely have a certain respect for bands like the bands you just mentioned bands that have been doing this for like 20 years, you know, like it's, um, it's a different level, you know, um, and it's a different mindset, a different perspective. And I have a lot of respect for the people that are out there still making records and playing shows after being around for like 20 plus years, you know, you hit this different, um, I don't know. It's like this different community of bands. Like you're just kind of lifers at that point, you know, and not everybody makes it that long. So I definitely, when I look at like the bands you mentioned or bands like Pennywise and Bad Religion, like from our scene that like came long before us, like I have such an admir, I have a, I have a deeper admiration now than I had even before seeing what it takes to keep a band together, you know, to keep doing it, to keep doing it with enthusiasm. Um, I don't know. I think it's just sort of part of our, our DNA. Um, and so it makes us want to keep doing it. And like you said too, like life goes on, you have, you get married, you have kids, you have families. It goes from anybody who has a family will tell you too, that like tour went from being like the exhausting part of your life to then once you have a family tour becomes like the vacation of your life. Yeah, <laughs> time goes, out. Let's go on tour. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. It's like you're, you're allowed to sleep in or hang out. Yeah. Um, and my kids are older now anyway, so I'm not, um, raising babies anymore. So that chapter of my life is over. So, um, but you, you I think that the, the people that last out there are people who find new and different reasons to, to, to walk out their front door and go back on tour. You got to find some, some new inspiration. I recently had on Jimmy world, um, an anti-flag and some 41. Yeah. And I want to ask you the same question actually, because I, being in a band like yourselves in that sort of genre with that kind of community in that scene, did you kind of give yourself expectations or like targets? So when you started out, you'll play any show you can because you want to get seen, you want to kind of get on the stages and build these support slots so you can then start to try and win people over. Five, 10 years later, you're then playing the festivals, the slam dunks, the download, the reading, these sort of festivals. When you've been in a band for this long, are you still setting yourself targets of like, we want to see ourselves further higher up the poster when it comes out of the lineup? We want to see ourselves on a longer tour or with some bigger bands. Is there something you always kind of strive to keep on doing? Yeah, that, yeah, that absolutely. You know, if you've played a festival a couple of years in a row and you're still, you know, middle of the poster, maybe on a side stage, 
you know, whatever, and you're watching people either pass you up or you're watching new bands come along that are playing over you that you think like, how can we get there? You know, yeah. we should be closing the stage or could we be a festival headliner one day, you know, and that kind of thing. And so it's a good thing to think about as you take the next steps in your band and just kind of move forward. Um, and so whatever it is that you need to do to make sure that your band is moving up that marquee a little bit and moving up that poster, you know, take the show seriously, take the songwriting seriously and take the album seriously and try to stay relevant as opposed to just fall into kind of like irrelevance. You know, that's the, that's the goal. You want to keep your fans happy. You want to keep your old, older original fans happy and you want to bring in new blood into the family. You know, you want to bring in uh, a 15 year old kid who's just getting into music today, you know, like, Let's get them to a rise against show. Let's make them a rise against fame. Let's have them be a part of this family. And so that's something I think that we're always thinking about. That's a good way to look at it. Cause you know, bands like Fry's and stuff who I adore, you go to their shows and there's still a lot of the kids that have now become adults. So you see a lot mm -hmm. of the faces that you remember seeing 20 years ago and they've right. all probably got babysitters, but yeah. you're hoping they're going to appeal to a new audience so you're 17 to 18 year olds that listen to parkway drive and bands like this are hopefully going to discover bands like fries but that's a really good way to look at it I, I i kind of you must have to take a step back sometimes to look at it like that and think you know we want to win new fans and not just kind of stay safe with the the loyals that have been there for 20 years you know yeah because that's how you'll keep doing this that's like how you'll keep kind of feeding the fire because um, as fans get older, you know, God bless them. They're not going to come to as many shows. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm, I'm older. I have a lot, I'm fans of a lot of bands. I don't go to all their shows. I can't make it to all their shows, you know? Um, so you always want to be bringing in that freshman class, you know, to kind of make sure that you can still do this. And I think that's the difference between maybe like a really successful band versus like a not successful band is that if you can speak to the generations and not just a generation, you know? Um, so you're not just like a nostalgia act um, and you're not just playing for people who you represent a certain part of their life, but you're playing for, you know, people that came into your story at very different albums, even, you know what I mean? Like maybe our second album is the most important thing to you, but maybe our fourth album is when you turned 15 and you discovered us, you know, or maybe our, sixth or seventh album is like the one that's most important to you you know and so all of a sudden when you show up to your town you just have people who kind of jumped on the train in at like different places you know but they're that's all amazing. there together yeah. yeah and that's what that's what you hope that's what so if you see a really big band that's what they did you know they've managed to get people to join their party in different eras um and then all gather in your town that night and buy a ticket to come see your show, you know, and then you get to celebrate like the whole catalog of songs. And it goes without saying that someone is going to connect with this era more than this era, et cetera. But if you get enough people in it, they're going to just love what you do and then love being a part of that community. And I think this week, as we're sitting here now, mid-October, has been an insane week to be in a band. Um, for you especially, to be announced for when we were young, when I look at that poster, it's like one of those dream posters when you'd be a kid and cut out your favorite bands and stick it all right, on a yeah. poster or like a dream lineup. Mm -hmm. And to see that with you know bands like The Offspring, Green Day, Blink-182, 
that must be fucking awesome to be just featured and part of that and see your name so high up against you know these amazing bands that every band on there deserves to be a future headliner because there's so many good bands on that lineup yeah i'm you're right that <laughs> that lineup is crazy i think the first festival still hasn't happened yet i think it happens like next weekend yeah i, I want to say and so and that was like every band was on that is on that show and now it's like every other band is on this show um you know, I'm I'm really happy that Rise Against is part of a community like that. Like, I don't know every single one of those bands on that poster, but I'm friends with a lot of them. You know, we've toured with a lot of them, and the band's playing this upcoming one. And it's so fun to be a part of, like, a community of music like that. I've always sort of taken it for granted, but then I meet bands on the road who are just sort of islands sometimes. You know, yeah. not, they, didn't, they didn't grow up in, like, a scene like that or a community, and they don't have... They wouldn't. They would not necessarily be invited to a, a, a fest like like when we were young, and it makes me really grateful that we came up in something that's a little bit more community based. You know, you're part of like this family. Like even though I don't know a lot of those bands, like when I run into them at catering, it's like, oh, you're the guy from this band. I'm the guy from this band. Like we used to cross paths in 2007. Cool. You know, and it's like you're part of a family in a way. You know. And obviously the news of Blink-182, everyone I know at the moment is trying to get tickets as we speak because it's just gone insane. But you're doing the whole Australian and New Zealand tour, aren't you, as the main support, which is going to be, I'm sure, an absolute blast. Yeah, that I can't imagine. That'll be epic for sure. Yeah, it's we haven't been to Australia in a while um, and we're super looking forward to the opportunity to play um, with Blink and for Blink fans. And that goes back to what we were saying too. It's like... You've always got to be thinking about bringing in new blood into what you're doing and that and shows like that we always seek out because that's when people who have not seen rise against before see rise against yeah so we, we try to find spaces to get in front of new faces and so that tour specifically i guarantee i guarantee you that that crowd will be people who have not seen us before, maybe vaguely familiar with us. And we'll certainly have our fans there too, but we'll get the opportunity to bring a lot of people into what we do. Yeah. Welcome to the family, you know, bring, exactly. bring all these yeah. people. Mm -hmm. What I do on the podcast, and I've done it for over 220 episodes now, is everyone that comes on gets to choose the outro piece of music that's played on the episode. So everyone picks a different song but it doesn't have to be one of your own it can be a song that means a lot to you but when i've asked it to actors and directors and writers i always think musicians enjoy it the most because your life is writing music and you'll have influences but what is a song and i'm putting you on the spot now that means so much to you that when this interview's all wrapped up it's all edited polished and out there for the world to listen to what's the final piece of music that you'd like played after today Oh, that's a good question. You've got 200 in your head right now. We need to get it down. I know, to right? <laughs> right. Does everybody struggle with this? Or does somebody, I've had somebody to pause it, like... it before and have 20 minutes delay and then edit it out. So the <laughs> listeners are like, wow, he chose that quickly. I'm like, no, he didn't. I went downstairs, got a drink. Right. Yeah, totally. Oh, man. Oh, so many songs. But um, what I like to do is the one that came straight to your heart or head straight away. And 
it's usually a solid reason why that was the first one because you might get it down to three or four while I'm speaking mm. to you now, but one will scream louder than the rest. Okay, so there's one that came to my head because I was thinking about and you were asking about important shows that you saw, and that the show I mentioned, the Nirvana show, was important, but also the band Fugazi was super important. Oh God, like, amazing! Seeing, right, seeing Fugazi shows were kind of like just so different than seeing any other band. You know, you're watching this band that was creating this ecosystem of 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 what they were doing around what they were doing and so if i had to finish this interview with a song it would have to be fugazi and then the same the song that came to mind was a uh, bed for the scraping amazing no one has chosen fugazi yet so that's amazing oh, really? and i've oh, had uh dennis from refused on and i thought he'll pick fugazi i thought it was oh, right. beforehand yeah. and yeah. then i had justin from um uh, last week I had literally, um, I've, I've been going through everything, but Justin from Anti-Flag and I thought maybe he'll pick Fugazi, but uh, nope. That's that's funny. What did, Dennis, what did Dennis and Justin pick? Dennis is kind of... Justin went for something crazy like, um, it was a real pop song. It was Cardi oh. B um, and he just did it just because he was like, fuck it. Like no one's going to expect this from me. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, and I think refused, I think it was the Ramones. Okay. Yeah. So that's cool. the, the, they're amazing bands, but um, those are two of the best dudes on the planet, right there, Justin and Dennis. Just Justin, love, honestly, I've I've had him on twice, and I could talk to him for hours. Like, just an absolute sweetheart. Yeah, just, sweetheart. So smart. Great songwriter. Been around the block a few times. Yeah. And Den and Dennis, like, I feel intimidated just because his record collection and everything that he knows, he's like Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. for every Absolutely. record yeah i went record shopping in chicago once with dennis and i was very intimidated by his it must be like a museum of him just walking around saying you need this you need this yeah i know it was pretty incredible just he's like yeah he's a renaissance man for sure i'm seeing Frice tomorrow as well they're coming over to the uk and i know you've played some shows with those guys but dustin as well he's been on a few times and that band the way they've evolved and never rested on their same sound uh for me one of the best out there as well yeah an inspiring band because i think of them as a band that really only gets better with every yeah. album which really defeats the odds you're not supposed to get better with every album and somehow they're doing it <laughs> you know it's insane isn't it most bands are trying to top that debut or the the follow-up but every album they're just getting better at their instruments dustin's vocals are getting rawer i can hear better stuff and i'm just like when do you when do you trip up like you're never right. gonna are they yeah. it's incredible absolutely yeah one of one of the best bands from from my generation for sure it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today um thank you so much for coming on genuinely i've done over 220 episodes and there's some episodes that just click right away from the moment mm. you start talking and today was one of them i just i don't know what it was it just something clicked and i was like this doesn't even feel like any work it's, it's like i've known you all my life and it's been genuinely a pleasure to have you on it's good to be here. Yeah, come to a show sometime. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, I, I will definitely meet you next month. Cool. Sounds good, Mark. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Tim from the amazing band Rise Against. What an amazing guest. As I said at the start of today's interview, for me personally, my own personal favorite episode this year. I absolutely adored it, and Tim was a dream guest. I really could have talked to him for hours and I really hope that our paths cross again early next year so we can do more episodes for Mark and me because he's just unbelievable. 
I'm so excited that that band are playing right now in the UK. Go and check them if you haven't got a ticket. There's a great tour in November and they're amazing live. I've seen them at Download and other festivals and their own headline shows and they are just unbelievable. But not only that, they're supporting Blink-182 in 2024. How far away is that? But honestly, what a support slot they've got there. Amazing. If you've enjoyed today's episode, all that I ask is that you share this. It costs you absolutely nothing to listen to Mark and me, so all I ask in return is to click a couple of buttons. If you're listening to it and you think, this is a great episode, why not retweet it on Twitter? Why not on Facebook hit that share button? Or on Instagram, just put it on your stories, or just even like it. Because that then brings a whole new audience to Mark and me. I don't make money off this podcast and I don't keep that a secret. It's all about doing it because I love it and for the passion. And when I see people share it, it means an awful lot. And you never know, you might just have one follower on your Twitter or Facebook or Instagram that sees that post, just one. And they suddenly check it out, listen to all 220 episodes, become a huge fan. And that was just for you clicking two buttons. That's all I ask. But if you've really enjoyed today's episode, I do have a Patreon account. That's the way that I can fund for this podcast to be on stuff like Spotify, Amazon, Apple Podcasts and Podomatic. That all costs money, plus me travelling the UK to do interviews and editing these podcasts. So anything that you can give via Patreon goes a long way. And to reward you and say thank you for the support, each and every month, thanks to my good friends at Richer Sounds, I have some great prizes just to say thank you. But not only that, I try and do prize giveaways each and every month. I'll be starting a podcast just for the Patreons, which are exclusive episodes of Mark and Me, coming very, very, very soon. And also, you'll get a badge as soon as you sign up. You'll get some cool little stickers, and they're stuff that money can't buy. They're exclusive just for my Patreons. Things aren't slowing down, and as I sit here right now, I look at my calendar for next week, and there's nine episodes scheduled. So things really are getting hectic. So I will be back, honestly, with a new episode in just a couple of days' time. So until then, listen to Rise Against, look after yourself, take care, and I'll speak to you all very soon. Hey!